Welcome to Order Up, the restaurant operations podcast brought to you by Ops Analytica. One thing about when you're managing multi-location uh, operations, whether you're in restaurants or they're medical, banking, legal, you know, chiropractic, gyms, it doesn't matter, um, is that very often when you're delivering services at the location level, um, that there isn't just one lever you can pull to increase sales, right? Uh, to make customers happier, to uh, increase profitability. Oftentimes, it's not one lever, it's 30,000 little levers that all have to be pulled. Not, none of them are going to sink you, but if enough of those levers aren't pulled correctly, your customers will have a bad experience with your business, your customer satisfaction will be down, and your sales and profits will follow. And that's what we do at Ops Analytica. We help you manage pulling all 30,000 little levers right in the right order. And, uh, and then at the same time, we're providing you with data, amazing visibility into uh, what levers aren't getting pulled, where you have issues, so you can figure out what the heck's going on and fix them. And then you move on. And then every time you correct an issue, you make your employees happier, you make it your, their jobs easier, you make your customers happier, and your sales and profits will follow. Check us out at OpsAnalytica.com. Hey there, Order Up Show podcast listeners. It's Tommy. I am back. Hello. How are you guys doing? Great. Good. You can't talk to me, so I don't know why I'm asking you questions. Uh, I am here. I have a great interview today. Please let me introduce you to Mark Fowles. Hi, Mark. How are you doing? Hey, Tommy. Yeah, thanks for having me on the show. Oh, yeah. Great. I'm excited to have this conversation with you. Uh, I met Mark uh, because I use his product, uh, which is called SendBoard, uh, as a part of our help desk solution. And him and I were chatting and, and well, I don't want to like blow all of our good content, but we're both in software. We both have worked with software for restaurants and I thought he would be a great person to bring onto the show. Um, so that's why Mark is here today. And um, so let's get started. Mark, let's go. We asked the same five questions. So I'm going to start with number one. Explain what you do today, then take us through your career progression from your first job until now. Cool. So uh, today I am a South African living in Amsterdam in the Netherlands. I am involved in a few different software ventures through a group of partners that I've worked with for about 15 years uh, across a few different industries. So a productivity app, uh, Tommy, as you mentioned, a, a food ordering platform in the, in the restaurant space, uh, digital forms for field work, and we have a software services company with customers in, in a few different industries. So going way back, and um, I grew up in, in Durban in South Africa, uh, studied computer science uh, with a focus on human computer interaction, uh, and started a business uh, while I was studying, uh, and, and started off early on uh, designing logos and uh, websites, uh, very simple in the beginning. Um, and, and I'm sure as, as many people do, and started getting a little bit more advanced. And at some point we found out that what we were building was more like uh, a software system than a website. Uh, as our customers would get would ask for more and more, uh, we the, the websites would start uh, encroaching on intranets and the back end, and we get uh, get more technical. And we found our feet there. We we kind of enjoyed that more, uh, and we started uh, focusing on those kind of projects. And from the uh, early days, um, uh, we we planned to to do more than just software consulting. Uh, we wanted to bootstrap our own products, so own our own intellectual property. Uh, we didn't really know what industry that was going to be in, but we were looking for opportunities. Uh, and that did happen. 
so um, probably a few years in, uh, one of our partners, um, his his father was involved in in government in South Africa, and uh, and and health, and uh, we had an opportunity to build an app for uh, capturing data for mobile field workers, um, and uh, we built an app, and and uh, that that's a business that's still going on today, a product called Mabenzi, and that is uh, for for digitizing field work, uh, capturing. The research in the field for health, for for um, agriculture, and um, for peer research. Um, and then probably a few years later, so while that was going on on, on the side, and two of our partners, uh, including my brother, who's one of the partners, four partners in the business, and um, they moved down to Cape Town, and uh, and focused on that business, Mabenzi, entirely. And we were still consulting, so the other two partners consulting, looking for for new uh, new industries, and. Uh, we got a phone call that was quite pivotal for the business in uh, probably the end of 2009, uh, which was a, a guy that ran a point of sale company um, and who had a big pizza customer, one of the big pizza brands in South Africa, who wanted to to offer online ordering. Uh, at the time, the, the FIFA Football World Cup was happening in South Africa in 2010, and they wanted to have a really like world-class experience for all the international tourists that were coming to South Africa. And that was was a really exciting project for us because uh, it was technically uh, challenging at the time. I mean, today, online food ordering is ubiquitous. There's tons of apps for ordering food. But at the time, uh, I think Grubhub was around, but uh, very few brands were doing. And I'm sure Domino's Pizza was doing online ordering, but it was it was still quite a new thing. So it was really exciting for us. Uh, and we built we built that uh, built that app. Uh, a web app and a website for ordering ordering food, uh, ordering ordering pizza online, uh, and it was very successful. And we partnered with that uh, that same guy from the point of sale company to build out a business to offer that kind of product to to other brands. And that was probably five to six years of my life was starting that as a as a new company a startup, uh, building a platform to uh, for online food ordering. And we started off uh, wanting to build something similar to what. Uh, Grubhub or Postmates or um, those those kind of uh, what, what aggregators or uh, intermediaries for food ordering, building that kind of thing. Um, but we found uh, that marketing wasn't our strength, uh, and and kind of building awareness around that app was it was a huge challenge. So we pivoted pretty early on to offer that platform as a uh, white labeled solution to restaurant brands themselves. So we'd offer their own. Uh, uh, branded experience where customers could order directly from the brand themselves um, and, and over time we found uh, we found that we, we we found a niche for ourselves there in helping these brands almost compete with the aggregators like like uber eats or in europe uh, deliveroo or grubhub and um, so to offer a, a, an ordering solution directly to to the consumer uh, to avoid the fees um, that are associated with those kind of services and own the customer relationship directly. So that business is, uh, is still running today, out of out of South Africa. But I, um, yeah, I, li I like to work on new things. My attention span, I think, five to six years was really pushing it, um, and it kind of coincided with an opportunity. Um, I actually moved out to uh, to the mountains in the Drakensberg in South Africa uh, because my my wife is a dietitian and she um, had to work in a rural hospital. It's part of the part of the government process to to become a medical practitioner in South Africa. So we moved away for a year, and I just took that opportunity to move away from that business 
and, uh, and start start something else. And that was the start of working from home. Uh, so I since since then I've been working working remotely with uh, with the team back in in South Africa. And while I was away in that um, uh, for for a year, uh, that's when we made the decision to move to the Netherlands. Um, and I uh, moved over over to the Netherlands in in end of 2018 and that coincided with a new opportunity with my business partners to start a new product uh, which is which is Sendboard and uh, uh, Sendboard has been my focus for the last uh, two and a half years I think it is and Sendboard is a is a a, a power up for Trello so if you don't know what Trello is Trello is an online productivity platform they have about 50 million users around the world um, and we've been using it as a software consultancy company for years to manage our projects. I think we were one of the earlier users in from 2009, and we used it for ages, and our team just loved it. Instead of using all the complicated project management tools, uh, everyone just loved using Trello, um, but we'd always use other tools like Zendesk or Jira or something else to handle support tickets for emails that come in. And at one point, my business partner had the idea, and he gave me a call, and he's like, Everyone loves loves Trello, but um, but we having to use these other tools for email. Why don't we just build a plugin to bring email into Trello? And uh, we could have done it just for ourselves, but we realized that there must be other companies out there that were looking for the same thing. And uh, so we built it as a as a as a, a, a power up, something that we could productize. And I'm glad we did because it turns out there are a ton of people looking for for something like that. Uh, and we've that's been my focus for the last two and a half years is, is getting that business off the ground. Uh, we've just passed uh, four thousand boards uh, this week, so four thousand boards on Trello. People using using this power up to get their email into Trello. So the way it works is basically an email uh, arrives at your 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 normal email address, like uh, help at yourcompany.com or in, hello or accounts or sales. That email arrives as a new card in Trello. And from there, uh, your team can can click on the card and uh, and use all the benefit of Trello to to deal with uh, with the work that comes out of that email, and then reply to the to your to, to your recipient directly from Trello. So you basically do everything within Trello. Yeah, uh, and that's, no, that's where I'm today. Oh yeah, and so uh, and the reason I wanted. Uh, to have Mark on is to discuss the Trello and also to discuss the food ordering system because I thought those would be interesting for the listeners. But if you guys don't know about Trello, and that's why uh, we use it as well. So at Ops Analytica, but I've been using it for years because it is a really great way to manage your team's activity. Uh, and there's a lot of, I think, people, especially at corporate restaurants groups, where it, they're doing a lot of very large project management type stuff and they're managing it off of an Excel. And I think if we could, and Trello is free, by the way, you don't have to pay for Trello. Um, they do, if you start to have, you know, if you start to use it a ton, they will start to ask you for some money. But for the most part, if you're just using the most basic version of Trello, you can kind of do it for free forever. I've been using uh, Trello for probably eight years now. And uh, just, it's a really great way to manage large complex projects where you're going across multiple teams, you know, and disciplines within the business. Everybody can see where everything is at and you can do, I mean, it's just super cool. And, uh, and I met Mark because we added SendBoard to our customer success board, meaning that we track our tickets 
uh, in Trello. But then just as he said, you had to go to your email to go send an email. Well, now with his product, I can send emails right out of the Trello cards and I can automatically send emails as cards get completed. So it makes it feel like you're using a very big professional ticketing system, which is super cool. Um, so, okay, yeah, so I just wanted to talk about that a little bit because you guys should definitely check it out. It's T-R-E-L-L-O.com, I think. Um, so what else is going on? Okay, so Mark, so does your food service, uh, the food ordering platform still in business today, you said? Is that correct? Yeah, correct. Uh, working, uh, interesting, we had an opportunity early on uh, with the pizza brand in Serbia, of all places, in, uh, in Europe. Um, but but most of our customers are in Southern Africa, so in South Africa and surrounding countries. Um, sure. And and yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, I mean, in the in the early days, because I was involved from when there was just you know the first order came through, uh, super exciting times. I think today we're doing about a million orders a month, so it's come a long way. Wow. And then, uh, do you have any plans? Do I guess does that business have any plans to expand into the mainland of Europe and also into the U.S. or is it kind of just growing organically type of thing. Yeah, I think we would love to, um, but it's difficult to gain traction in a new country. We actually came across yeah. to to uh, the to the what is it conference in in, in Dallas in twenty in twenty oh Mertz, yeah, yeah. Uh, and just to just to have a, have a sense of the get a sense of the of the industry and, and, and feel for how we could maybe fit in. Um, but I think without a, without a big partner and someone to help us gain traction, I think it would, be, it would be challenging, but it's something we're thinking about. We're just super busy with the existing customers in South Africa at the moment and still sure. completely bootstrapped. I mean, we haven't taken on any, uh, any investors. Uh, we've built that out ourselves. So we, we, we're thinking about options at the moment. Yeah. So real quick, talk about bootstrapping uh, because I don't know, because obviously we're in tech but our audience base is really a lot of like operators in the hospitality industry and they might not know what bootstrapping is. So why don't you give them a little. Cool. Uh, yeah, so so bootstrapping, I think the analogy comes from um, climbing a ladder, I think. Um, you basically would would just pull up your one boot at a time onto the, onto the, onto the next, uh, next uh, step on the ladder and um, rather than than you know, just jumping right to the top. And the idea in, in tech, what it means is that you, you you earn a little bit of revenue from consulting or from whatever revenue source you have, and instead of cashing out on that money, you reinvest that into the next uh, the, the the next bit of intellectual property or growth that is going to that is going to going to take your product to the to the next level. And um, so instead of getting a venture capitalist on board, um, you just grow slower and reinvest your profits as you go. Yeah, and it, what it really is is a uh, is a mind-numbingly. It requires the patience of the most patient person in the world, because we're bootstrapped as well too at Ops Analytica, and you know you'll see your competitors get. You know, I just saw a bunch of people. Like one guy just raised fifty million dollars today in like a Series D or round. I don't know what it was, and you're like, holy hell, you know. What, do you, what could I do with 50 million bucks? But, uh, you know, like how many sales guys could I hire and how much of this, you know what I mean? Like, uh, and and so it, it just requires so much patience, but the benefit of doing it is that a lot of businesses, the dark side of taking money, as I'm sure you know too, is that those guys now own you 
And if you don't make your numbers, they can pull the money and you're then you have to fire everybody and you don't own your business anymore. So it, it it's not like that money's free. Um, you yeah, have to be yeah. able to close business at a high rate to keep that money coming in. Oh, and by the way, too, everybody, they don't just give you 50 million bucks. They say, okay, we're gonna give you 50 million bucks over the next 18 months. We're gonna give it to you like 2 million a month. And at any time, if you're not doing what they want you to do, they just pull it back and, you know, it's over. Yeah, completely. And I, I, it does it does get frustrating when you want to move quickly and you do see your competitors who do raise capital can do things you can't. Um, but in, in some ways, you can, you can move faster as a small team uh, and you need to focus on those kind of things. Um, and also the, the, the upside that we see is that sometimes so taking on money it just ch can change the direction that you go, uh, the, the way oh, yeah. that you approach business, and 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 rightly so as an investor, you, you you're going to have to make decisions that are that are for the shareholders. Where if it was run your own business, you might be making a decision based on your lifestyle or um, or just what you'd like to do rather than what's going to make the most money. So that's probably the biggest change, and one of the reasons wherever possible we like to um, we like to fund things ourselves. Absolutely. Okay, so uh, what is, I'm gonna go to question number two, by the way. Uh, what is the big project and initiative that you're working on right now? Yeah, so right now that is Sandboard, and I'm, I'm in the very impatient stage of where, although we've got these businesses with probably about 50 employees with Sandboard, and the focus is, it's predominantly me. Um, I'm in the trenches uh, doing all the customer support, the legal stuff, the graphic design, marketing, and doing everything because it's not at a stage where you um, uh, where you can justify bringing on full-time staff. And we do leverage uh, team members in, in the other businesses from time to time, but it's um, uh, but it's uh, I'm wearing many hats at the moment. So so that's what I'm doing, and it's it's super exciting, uh, and uh, as I said, uh, growing really well. Um, but but maybe if you're inter more interested in what's going on on the on on the Yumbi side. Um, it's also been, uh, sorry, Yumbi is the food ordering platform that we've got um, and it has been pretty interesting for us because last year with, uh, with coronavirus in South Africa, I think South Africa was one of only two countries in the world where during uh, lockdown, they actually shut down uh, even takeaway restaurants for, for a couple of weeks. Um, so you can imagine that hit the industry really hard uh, and it resulted in um, a lot of restaurants um, realizing that that um, or as things started opening up and uh, with social distancing and and uh, sit down sit, sit down uh, restaurants having to force them having to offer takeout services um, digital ordering just became um, just really did take off and we've had to customize our platform to cater to those kind of things things like curbside collect um, things like uh, uh, table ordering, if you can't have a, a, a server coming to your table, uh, you know, uh, place an order using the app yourself. So that's been quite interesting. So there's a lot going on in that uh, in that business as well in reaction to the, the way the world has changed over the last year. Oh, yeah. I'm looking at the website. And, uh, yeah, I mean, so you're basically – you're not just doing the curbside or the delivery. You're also doing it in the restaurant show letting people order within the restaurant and have it delivered to their table that's really cool yeah that's something very uh, new yeah it seemed like a natural natural progression to get to get to that point 
Well, yeah, because, you know, like, I don't know, in the U.S., what is it called? Uh, Z, oh, Jesus, I can't believe my brain's not working. Ziosk, sorry, there we go. So in the U.S., like four or five years ago, maybe six years ago, a company came out called Ziosk, right? And they built these very, these tablets that sat on the tables and they could, you know, you could order drinks and stuff on your table. And then, you know, your kids could play games. And then if you weren't paying attention, your kids would play the paid games. And then all of a sudden, yeah. you know, you just spent four bucks for your kid to play like Tetris. And like, you're like, what the heck's going on? And, but, you know, the whole idea being that we can, you know, people, the worst part of dinner is waiting for your check to come back. Right. And whatnot. And so you could cash out whenever, and you could even order apps as well. And, and I felt like that idea was already obsolete when they released it. You know what I mean? Because I'm yeah. like, who wants to buy, you know, if I have like if some of these restaurants have a hundred tables in them, do I want to buy a hundred Ziosks? That's expensive, you know? And I mean, I, I think they probably came out right as like, I mean, I think cell phones, obviously like iPhones and, you know, or smartphones were already out at that point. So I was like, why not just, let people use their funds to do this and then, you know, be the aggregator in that respect. Like, but uh, I do think what you're doing here is going to play a huge role uh, moving forward because, you know, I, I do believe we're moving into a world where you're going to go to high end restaurants that uh, where you'll have servers and then you're going to have some basic version of QSR down the board. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you're not, there's not going to have as many waiters. You're going to have food runners and you're going to have bussers, but you probably aren't going to have as many waiters in the future. You know what I mean? There'll be people around to answer questions and bring you your food, but they're not, it's not going to be like in the U S that fast casual has been really struggling for a lot of years because they have these big restaurants, but nobody really wants to eat in them. And then they have to have waiters. And so if they can remove waiters, it's a huge I think probably profitability gain and he and less headaches. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, we we noticed that uh, that here in the Netherlands and also during during lockdown, they made immediate uh, immediate rules that servers are not allowed coming to the tables. Um, so if you the, if restaurants were going to open up, um, they rolled out a solution with the order on your phone. Um, just within a couple of weeks, you know, restaurants that had never had anything digital before were suddenly offering uh, table ordering. Um, and it, and wow. it worked pretty well, and I think that 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 trend is going to is going to going to continue. Well, I remember we went to London two years ago, and we were amazed at the amount of restaurants and bars where they were huge. I mean, like we like, this is downtown London, crazy gigantic bar, and you just ordered at the bar, and then someone brought you your food. You know, it was basically like a full size pub, but it was a QSR. You know, you went to the counter yeah. and then, you know, when they weren't busy at the counter, someone would walk around and ask if you wanted more drinks, but it's kind of on you to go back up and get them. And I mean, you know, crazy, right? Like that's just, that was like, it kind of blew our minds because we don't have that in the States you generally, yeah. you know what I mean? In the States, yeah. you have waiters at every table, four table sections, you know? Yeah. But it's the same in South Africa. I think because also um, there's an oversupply of labor in South Africa um, that, that this, people need jobs, you know, that's, so there's, sure. there's a lot of ways. Uh, in Europe, we've seen, seen something very different, exactly what you, what you said, even the same brand. Uh, there's a, a massive chicken brand in South Africa called Nando's. Um, and they, oh, yeah. um, they rolled out in, in, in London. Uh, but if you go to a Nando's in London versus South Africa, it's a completely different experience. Uh, Nando's in South Africa is, is quick service. 
and uh, it's a big part of it is delivery. Uh, but you go to to Nando's in in England. I remember one of the stories was that uh, someone proposed proposed to their girlfriend in a Nando's, and it just uh, it just feels like <laughs> very weird. That it's, it's it's not a it's not a quick service restaurant in London. It's like a it's like a fancy experience. And um, but even so, they don't have servers. Um, well, at least uh, at least the, the the few that I've been to in in Europe. Uh, you you go up to the counter, place your order, and uh, and the runner will bring you your food. Uh, you don't. Uh, no one comes to your table. That's interesting. Well, yeah. Is that Nando's Peri Peri? Is that what it's called? Yeah, correct. Yeah, Peri Peri yeah. is an African African chili. It's uh, it's Portuguese chicken, but it was founded in in South Africa. Okay, I thought it was out of Australia, but they must have some in Australia as well too, because I think I had talked to those guys at one point. Um, okay, yeah, so it's, you know, and you probably don't know this, but like in the US, what we're experiencing right now is that, uh, you know, we had a change in, in uh, presidency and party. And so mm -hmm. the current party uh, extended all these unemployment benefits to everybody. And what it basically did is it's cutting the legs out of the restaurant recovery because they cannot, restaurants in the US right now cannot find waiters and, and employees. They are, because people are making so much money. And I think it goes through September, right? Uh, where people are making, uh, I was told by one guy down in Texas that they're making the equivalent of about $16 an hour to stay home um, oh. and not work. And so it's actually kind of crazy because I was talking to one of our clients yesterday. He's got 20 uh, on a Friday night in his restaurants. He should be running 22 servers uh, in his restaurants. He said since last year, he hasn't had more than 12 working because he can't get the people. Not that he doesn't have the business. He can't get the people, which means that he can't. So then I asked him, what are they doing? Eight table sections. He's like, no, I have to close half the restaurant because I don't want to sacrifice customer service, um, you know, and have people have a bad experience. So, you know, the restaurant industry, obviously across the world took a massive hit during the, um, during the pandemic because we're obviously a place where people gather and that's what they were trying to stop. But now and here in the U S it's doubly bad because we are getting people vaccinated. We are getting people open and out. I mean, like in Colorado, I don't have to wear a mask anymore. I've been vaccinated. I don't have to wear a mask unless somebody in the building says, please put a mask on. I'm good. I can go anywhere I want. So that's huge. But then like this would be the summer where these businesses that have been struggling for so long could kind of get their feet back underneath them. But now the labor market's been uh, just borked by, you know, this uh, unintended consequences of giving all these people money. And so now these restaurants aren't, aren't going to be able to, to get up to full speed a lot of them because they can't find the people to work. It's crazy. Yeah, and, yeah, and I suppose uh, it comes down to customer experience. If uh, if if customers are used to have place that with a, a table ordering using a, your phone or a tablet, um, it's yeah. it's a very different experience. We've seen in in in, in Europe here, it's it, the 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 culture is. In restaurants is is very different to South Africa and the US. Um, as service doesn't seem to be a very high priority on their list. Um, and <laughs> in, 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 interesting, interesting. Speaking to to some of the restaurant owners here, is uh, also actually some of the restaurant owners who come from South Africa. They said that comes out of um, a culture of growing up. That 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 in South Africa you grow up, you know, as a, as a kid. 
you've uh, your parents invite friends over and like my dad will say you know go and pour this person a glass of wine and, and make them you know feel welcome uh, whereas whereas the the culture of growing up at, at least in the Netherlands I'm not sure about the whole of Europe is different here that uh, hosting people for dinner is not it's, it's a very different experience and that translates through carries over to the restaurant industry you know when you hire a, a new waiter um, they don't it's not in their blood to try and make people feel uh, welcome as they walk into a restaurant. And, and uh, as, as, a, as a, a guest in a restaurant, uh, getting the attention of a, of a, of a waiter is, is quite a mission. So when they, when they did uh, introduce table ordering and apps, it was probably a better experience for most people. Whereas I'm sure in the US, wow. if, you, if, you, if you're used to like really good customer service, um, and also maybe the tipping culture makes a difference because there's no there's a very very little tipping culture in, in Europe and that probably also contributes to to, to poor service. So in, in the US, uh, you probably used a good service and replacing that with an app is probably a downgrade. Ah, that's a really interesting point. Uh, you know, it's so funny because for the last couple of years, people have been trying to get rid of tipping, right? And I think there's a variety of reasons for it. One is, you know, there's a big complaint about the disparity between working in the front of the house and working in the back of the house where, you know, there are waiters in steakhouses making, you know, $80,000 a year, like a high-end fancy, you know, $80, $50 a plate in up type of restaurant scenario where the waiters are making a fortune and everybody in the back isn't really making that much money. There's also a whole thing about the taxation and how much money is being, you know, it's a cash business, how much money is not getting reported. And then also, you know, there's a big push to get us to a $15 minimum wage in the U.S. across the board, which will just kill restaurants in a lot of ways because, you know, customers want food at the same price. But then, you know, if you have to pay everybody on your books $15 an hour. It, it makes that it makes your costs go higher. So, you know, ultimately, yeah. uh, you know, the food price has to go up. And then, you know, there's all, the, I mean, I could get into all the different, the unions, it, 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 there's so much going on with this $15 minimum wage and it's a big deal right now. And, and um, anyway, but you're right. So like I did, I read a whole article about the, the waiters in France because they're all salary. They don't get, there's no motivation for a waiter in France to do good any better than it is for the guy at the McDonald's counter to do better, right? Like, because they don't get tipped. So, yeah. you know, it's just an hourly job at that point. And, and so, but like in the US, most places where they have waiters, the waiters make a smaller hourly wage and then they hustle for tips and you can make a fortune as a waiter. I was a waiter for years and made great money. Um, and I would never want to be on a flat wage because that's a, that's a grueling job and it's hard to be nice to people all the time, but you'll do it to get the money. But like, if you don't, if, if you're not going to get the money, then it's just like, Oh really? You're going to just complain about this. Well, whatever, you know? So I think it would be very bad for our restaurant industry to get rid of tips and everyone who's tried has failed uh, so far independently, including like very big fancy restaurants in New York. They just couldn't do it because the waiters took such a pay cut that they were like, nah, I don't want to be here. So I'll, I'll just go to another company where I can make my money, you know? Yeah, I get so. it. Uh, but it is a cultural thing. Uh, you know, some people in, in some countries will even take offense at tipping. Uh, you know, you kind of, if it's not uh, if it's not part of your culture and you suddenly get a tip, uh, it feels like uh, you may be suggesting that their salary is not enough. 
um, that they, they need some extra money. And it's, it's, it's just weird. It's, 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 it's ingrained in culture and it's not something that's easy to change either way. Oh yeah. I, you know, I, I, I would make it, I would equate it to haggling as well too. Like in the U S we don't haggle. You know, yeah. There's no time in my life where I'm like, I'll give you three extra dollars for that. Like, you know what I mean? Like, give me the price I'll pay for it. Let's move on. But like in other cultures, especially like in the middle East and other places, haggling is part of the deal. Asia, they expect yeah. to haggle. They're offended if you don't haggle. And then yeah. as a U.S. person, I'm at a huge disadvantage because I don't know how to haggle. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. Yeah, it's just completely different. Yeah, it feels, uh, uh, yeah, I, I, I agree. I've been to, to a few places around Africa where it's just part of the culture. Um, and um, I feel like I'm ripping someone off. Like, I just want to pay the full price. But you're right. They almost yeah. uh, expect it. It's funny. So one of the big reasons I wanted to talk to you uh, today as well is when we had our conversation pre, uh, you know, getting on the podcast here was when you were at, you had said something that was really interesting to me. We were talking about the ordering system and you had mentioned that, you know, you had a lot of people uh, that were really against the ordering system and it was because of, and I'll let you kind of fill that in if you remember, and if not, I can jog your memory. But yeah, um, I want to I want to go down that path if we could. Yeah. So so I, I didn't I didn't actually mention that that our our software platform is not just used for consumer facing ordering like apps and, and websites. It's also used by call center agents to take telephone orders and place orders um, at a call center. And it allows a you know a multi restaurant owner to centralize their telephones uh, and take all orders from a central location. And uh, you know we deal with several operators. We deal with the brand directly, and and some restaurants we just get resistance, you know, opposition, people saying that our software wasn't working, and they raised bugs and 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 issues that we kind of knew didn't really exist. Um, and uh, and. It's, you know, once or twice after months of resistance, uh, we'd we'd eventually get a breakthrough. And the, a couple of cases I remember where a restaurant owner got back to us and said, "Thanks so much for pushing through because we realized that the reason there was resistance was because some key key staff in the in the call center um, were were um, fraudulently uh, you know taking cash orders and not putting them through the system, um, and and kind of keeping putting money in their pocket. But by forcing people to use a central system, using our system to take orders uh, that was tied into the into the um, telephone ordering system, everything was traceable. Um, they, there was no way for them to 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 put money in their pocket, and that's why they created this this false sense of instability and raised these issues that didn't already exist because they were trying to uh, at least buy themselves some more time of of putting uh, putting some of the the cash in their pocket. So what they'd actually do, I mean, maybe it's maybe it's 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 obvious, but um, what what uh, what these guys would do is they'd take an order of the telephone, write it down on a piece of paper, uh, get uh, the, the the person taking the order would be um, would have a deal together with the, uh, the the delivery driver who would go and collect cash, and there would be no digital receipt handed over to the customer. It would all be cash. Uh, and that cash would never touch the system and the order would never be logged in the system. So even doing a cash up at the end of the day uh, would, would, uh, would, would balance, um, but someone would end up with, with money in their pockets. And their food costs would go up. Of course, right? yeah, their and food their, costs and would, profits go up, would go down. Yeah, so they just spent, you know, they just spent, you know, 10 bucks making, you know, uh, 
10 bucks in labor and, you know, whatever. And, uh, you know, 10 bucks in food. So the restaurant's out 20 bucks, but these guys that are scamming just got 40 or 50 bucks that they're splitting between each other. And the thing is, is that because you don't run food costs on a daily basis, because no one's inventorying on a daily basis, that stuff can go a week before it starts. It goes a week and then, you know, it doesn't necessarily show up. It's not going to show up immediately. Your food cost is going to rise over time. And if the people do it are kind of, uh, if they're kind of restrained, they can do this for 10 years and no one would ever know. You know what I mean? Yeah. So even if they do suspect, scary. even if they do suspect it, uh, to, to investigate and, and find out where, where that money's being lost, it's, it's not, it's not trivial. So, uh, yeah. the traceability really helped them. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the reason why this is another, you know, we kind of see the same thing in our platform. So our platform is multi-unit operations management and analytics. And so we help the locations manage their days. But really, our goal is to provide great actionable data for multi-location operators so they can see what's happening actually what's happening in their restaurants not what they think is happening not what management's telling them is happening but is actually happening they can identify you know all kinds of issues that they can fix impediments to giving great service uh great coaching all that stuff right so it's very similar in that we provide a ton of data and a ton of process and accountability and we get resistance oftentimes from people and and i'm always baffled by it because you know, and this is a general, this is a general statement for all the listeners out there. If you've got an employee that is railing against uh, more process, more accountability, and more data in any way, shape, or form in your business, then you really need to take a step back and ask yourself, is this the person that I need on my team moving forward, right? Because, and I'm not saying that our softwares are like, you know, you can't survive without them. I'm just saying, as a general rule, when you when people rail against accountability, rail against like really putting some process and systems in place, which are repeatable, and then obviously data that comes out of those systems, that that's not the person that's going to take you into the future because the future is all data and all process and all systems. And I'm always baffled. Why do these guys not want this? And when you said that it was uncovering theft, I was like, man, that was like a light bulb that exploded in my head. Because I was like, so then I started looking at it from a different perspective. What are these guys afraid of or what are they trying to hide by not wanting this type of a system, right? And it, it really did just sort of change my thinking, you know, when I heard you yeah. say that on the phone that one day. It was crazy. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's super interesting. And we're seeing a similar, um, the, the, the problem is not necessarily with, with theft here, but we're seeing a similar problem with, with rolling out uh, software for managing delivery drivers. Um, and and uh, tracing their uh, their steps on the road, you know, tr tracking by yeah. GPS uh, where they're going, uh, where they're stopping, uh, being traceable about you know how how long they're taking to deliver, how long if they're stopping on the side of the road for a smoke break, uh, all of those things are, are traceable now. And there's obvious resistance to rolling out those kind of systems, uh, but it's difficult when you're competing with someone like um, Eats um, who have got. You know that's the whole business is about that that yeah. delivery that like super efficient delivery uh, when you're competing with those you have to put incentives in place but um but you're going to get that same resistance people people not wanting to give away the freedom that they've had sure well and i mean in a lot of cases in their minds that's why they keep the job 
because they don't, you know what I mean? Like they just, they can justify in their own minds, like, well, being able to take a smoke break once in a while is not a big deal. And I should be allowed to do it if there's no deliveries. And, you know, it's interesting because, well, two things. So I was talking to a buddy of mine who's the uh, COO of, a, of an up and coming sandwich chain out of Denver. And they, they make the best sandwiches. Like I love them. Um, and, you know, one of the things too is, with data and, and for people in our position and then people, our customers as well too, is you, you know, don't, you should use the data to figure out what's actually happening, but you shouldn't use the data and the stuff you're getting out of these systems to bludgeon and, um, you know, use them to destroy the restaurants, right? Like, like you can get, like, if you find out this guy's taking smoke breaks, right? You don't need to fire him because he's taking smoke breaks because then everybody's going to know, okay, wait a second. They know what I'm doing. You, you need to use it as a way to coach him. Hey man, do me a favor. I noticed you've been taking smoke breaks. Can you cut back to the restaurant and then take your smoke break at the restaurant in the parking lot versus out on the road? Because if you because then you're ready to be if so that way if another order comes in you're here sitting here not we're not waiting on you to drive back you know what i mean so it's like those kinds of things because he was like every time you use this data and these systems to bludgeon or like really hammer the restaurants they're just going to start lying to you or find ways to get around it and he had a great story about ticket times at his old company where you know they had set a, a limit where they wanted four minute ticket times and that it was unrealistic to do four minutes because some of the items took six minutes to cook but but so then they they made a big deal of it you got to have four minute ticket times and so then what happened was the ticket would come in the people would start making it and they would just close the ticket so the ticket yeah. times were completely inaccurate because they just go well we get in trouble when our ticket times are six minutes so we just make them, you know, three minutes and nobody gives us any guff. And then everyone at corporate is making decisions off of this bad data, right? Because they're going, oh man, we got three minute ticket times across the system. We can add more complex items and it won't affect anything. And so at corporate, they're all looking at the data going, oh man, we're doing so great. We're the best. But in the reality, they're just, they have slower ticket times in the restaurant, right? So people are going to, if you use this data to hammer them, they're going to find ways so that you can't, you don't hammer them, but instead use it as a way to coach and change behavior the right way. Right. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Yeah, completely. And wherever possible, you want to measure the actual value being added um, because yeah, when you do, when you do put these uh, intermittent measures in place, uh, they can be abused. Um, like in your case. And that's a problem that they're having yeah. with those delivery, delivery drivers as well. Is, you know, they'll mark an item as delivered as soon as it comes out the kitchen, and then they'll jump on their motorbike and head to the customer. And I have a actually really interesting uh, story if we, uh, since we're talking about traceability yeah. uh, in a different industry. Uh, uh, what we, we, we were working on software for in the mining industry, and we were building software oh. to, to calculate the diesel cost uh, uh, and, and what are the different uh, different things affect the, the, the cost of running it, those, those massive like 50 ton uh, trucks on the mines. Um, and, and one of the one of the things that we picked up through the process was some of the drivers were taking these massive 50 ton trucks right up out of the mine for a toilet break. <laughs> um, uh, uh, and the cost the cost of that when you're running these massive trucks at like it's it's 
probably hundreds, thousands of dollars um, a minute to run these trucks. And these guys were, were, were going for a toilet break um, at massive expense to the company. So sometimes uh, it's that kind of traceability can lead to, 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 to massive, massive savings. And it's not, uh, it's not intentional even. It's people just not aware of, what, uh, of, the, of the impact of what they're doing. Oh man, that's crazy, but it makes so much sense. Yeah, yeah, but the, 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 the detail that they got into was more like, uh, you know, uh, the, as you're coming around a corner, at what point you put your brakes on, uh, but when you see the stop sign, um, can have millions of dollars consequence over a year. Um, so, so it was getting to, to a whole lot of detail about about tracking every aspect of these of these trucks and and how you could optimize the the, the diesel costs. But the same things will apply to 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 food ordering. And in optimizing the trips and the routes that drivers are taking and how long they're they're running their their, their bikes for, um, the data is going to is going to make a huge impact on, on many of these industries. Well, and and you know it's interesting because I have a couple of things to say about this, but like yeah, no, it, it totally it, the data is so imperative, and I I make the case in several blogs, and I, I'll scream it from the rooftops, but I really do believe in the hospitality industry that operations data collection is the next competitive forefront because we've already got supply chain squared away. We know where our food's coming from. And I'm, I'm quite often, a lot of these guys are getting the same food from different, you know, different brands are getting the same food from the same vendors. You know what I mean? We are, most people over the last five to six years have uh, implemented online ordering. They have an app, you know I mean? That was really the big push since 2015. And for a lot of it, I complained. And I, I will admit it again. I said incorrectly on many blogs and on many podcasts, hey, it doesn't matter if you have online ordering, if your daily operations aren't any good because you're just pissing off more people, right? Because we found that at Quiznos. That's what we would do at Quiznos. We would do these big marketing uh, you know, things. And then, you know, our restaurants were running like garbage and we just brought more people in to realize we were running like garbage. And we eventually, you know, we're marketing ourselves off a cliff is what I said. Now I was completely wrong on that because if you didn't have online ordering and the pandemic hit, you were hurting. So, you know, I, I take it with a grain of salt that I was incorrect on that. But having said that, this data, this data, and the data and the ability to to capture the data, analyze it quickly, identify an issue, and then train and coach and solve the issue, building that muscle, right? Whatever it is, whether it's tracking these delivery drivers or just running a clean restaurant, that muscle is the most important muscle that your organization needs to develop. Um, and it, it, it's, it's tantamount to being able to implement new solutions, software solutions, well, but that muscle will incrementally increase sales and profits over time. And then as you get better, your you, as you get better um, competing against your, you know, your competitors, you will then have more money for your ads. You'll have more money for hiring better managers. You'll get better placement in the malls. You know, it will all start to grow out of that. And McDonald's is the like epitome of that because they are so systems driven and they may maintain their top spot in the restaurant world because of that. And so if you're listening to this, if you don't have a way of collecting data on all these different things and analyzing it, then that's a skill set you've got to develop inside your business. 
because that's going to lead you to, this is going to keep you in the game, you know? Yeah, totally. Totally. And, and wherever possible, I think, um, what, what you're seeing a lot more of is the, is the data, the ultimate data coming from the customer themselves in a, in a review. Uh, it's, and you're seeing that in the, in the food industry, uh, obviously with, with, uh, with intermediaries like, like Uber Eats and, and Postmates, you're getting the customer placing an order and reviewing the restaurant and giving feedback. Um, and then your internal data is more about troubleshooting. You know, where is the problem? Why have customers at this outlet uh, started uh, good, good, kind of a lower star rating than at, uh, at this outlet? Uh, and looking at your data to try and pinpoint where the issues are, um, because ultimately the customer experience is the, is the ultimate goal. Um, and, if, uh, and although it's frustrating getting feedback from the customers, um, that's what you, everyone's trying to do, is trying to create a great experience for the customer at the end of the day. And, and that's one of the things that we're also doing in in, in Yumbi and our business is trying to uh, is trying to to gather more data from customers themselves about their experience, about specific items in their order, about the delivery itself, about the ordering experience. Um, because without that data, you can't improve. Yeah, and I would say like what we're been trying to do is partner up with people like Yumbi and yourself and and others because you know where a lot of too is where a lot of that information stops is okay hey we know that like the bathroom was dirty right but then where's the accountability mechanism to go have someone just fix the bathroom real quick so we don't get five more people telling us the bathroom was dirty and we we fit very nicely in our platform in that accountability point and we've done some really cool things where you could literally if our two platforms connected you could push customer data into our platform and we could literally you know create tasks and change every single process to be focusing on whatever that issue might have been you know to to ensure that we fix it quickly like in real time really so yeah that's really cool it, it, it's so going back to those mining trucks because this is really interesting too i have a friend who was uh, uh one of the dads of the one of the cub scouts my son was in cub scouts for a while and he sold the tires <clears throat> for those trucks and each truck's worth of tires was like 200 grand and they only made it three months. Oh, well, yeah, it's insane. Yeah. So you think yeah. about what you were saying too. You drove out of the mine to go potty. You just put, including the wear and tear on those things because they are beasts. But now you just use that much more of the tire, right? And you had some downtime when those things, like those operations, the only way to make money is that that entire shift is like, you know, crazy you know that they're just maximum moving that rock around so yeah exactly exactly oh, yeah super interesting super interesting so you said something earlier and by the way we're off the rails on the, the normal questions because we're just having this next conversation so we'll end up with a war story question here in a second but i do want to talk to you about you said something that i thought was really interesting you, you said you have to measure uh based off of the value that it's generating, right? Dive into that a little bit deeper for me. Like, and explain how you're doing that with Yumbi or or any of your products. I'm very curious because that's an interesting way of, you know, you know, so much of our reporting is always just counting what's actually happening. But how do we identify what's the value adding activities and start counting that? So I want to hear more about. That. Yeah, there's a great book I can recommend called Measure What Matters, and. Um, 
yeah, I'm not I'm not going to go into detail that book, but it's 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 really it's 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 pointless measuring uh, metrics if they're not the right metrics, uh, and and it's it's not easy. It might it might sound uh, it might sound trivial coming up with. You might expect that any entrepreneur should know what the metrics are that they should be measuring, but it's not. It's really difficult to figure out what are the what are the three or four numbers that you need to be measuring to 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 know how your business is really at and optimizing uh, to improve. Uh, just an example, uh, you know, something I'm just uh, playing around with the Sendboard is we've obviously got uh, support costs. You know, every time we reply, reply to a support query, uh, it takes it takes time. Right now, it's my time, but I'm I'm I'm, I'm basing this optimization on, on a, a team of people that would be would be responding to you know a couple hundred hundred email queries a day. Um, and I can optimize to try and reduce that number on its own, you know, but on its own it doesn't mean much because a ton of support queries come in, come in could be could be a good thing. I could optimize for, um, you know, let's try and reduce how much time it takes to respond uh, to a to a ticket, um, but that's also not an accurate reflection of of the of the value of the business of the value of the interaction, and um, so you can combine metrics to create to create a, a smarter metric and say what we could be tracking is the number of support tickets closed um, as a function of revenue that's grown during the period. So you, you're basically saying um, if, we, if we're applying to a lot of tickets that is resulting in a lot of growth, that's great. Um, so they should be a function of each other. So take the um, the revenue that you've, or the new revenue during during the month, divided by the tickets that you've closed during the month, to get a, a smart metric, and that's what you should optimize against. And so we want to optimize, uh, make sure that that if we are responding to tickets, it's resulting in uh, a, 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 a relative uh, value and growth in the business, and you track that number going up and down. And that's something that we're playing with at the moment into the sin board. That's really interesting because like in our system, you know, we have stressed and, and I think, uh, you know, we're going to back off this a little bit. Um, but we have really stressed checklist compliance, meaning like we schedule these checklists and we want to make sure everybody's getting them done all the time. You know what I mean? And getting them done on time. And, and there's a reason for that because it's part of the operational cadence of the restaurant and you know you want to make sure you're doing your food safety check before you start serving the food that type of stuff right but it's also incredibly hard um you have to be a very good management team to you know bring that number up to a really high level you know i think a, a reasonable level is 50 percent, and then you know anybody can get up in the 60s 70s and 80s they're really crushing it and also it depends on what kind of organization you are right so like if you're a franchise organization where you have all these uh, independent operators that just buy your company, you have much less control over those guys than you do your own employees. And so we kind of had like for years, just bang that drum. You gotta be at 80% compliance. Well, and now, and then we've been doing some analysis and sort of thinking all this through and we're realizing not a lot of people can't do that. You know, and so we've actually made people feel bad, you know, that they're not doing a good job, um, but, and so we were doing kind of what you were saying. We were just looking at a singular number. And what we really need to be looking at is, you know, what is the value of these checklists and how do we best measure the value? And each check, each checklist or process could be different and it could be different by each company. Um, 
but it's just funny you say that because we've been literally going through the same internal conversation. Like, you know, what is the best way to measure this stuff? You know what I mean? Yeah. Because we can measure all of it. Yeah, an example yeah. in the in the restaurant industry that we that we built dashboards for these call centers that were taking telephone orders uh, for meals, uh, and we were looking at the uh, the call time, you know, how long the call was open for with the customer, and you could optimize just on that metric. But once again, a long telephone call is not necessarily a bad thing. You might be taking an order yeah. for for twenty people, and um, so we once again created a metric that was a function of the. Uh, the, the the sales value. So you you basically would would put a metric together, which is dollars per second um, for the for the call center, because then that uh, that avoids abuse. It's oh, you cut out there for a split second, but now that makes complete sorry. sense. No, yeah. yeah. So yeah, because you, like you said, yeah. Why are you complaining about a long call? I mean, if the person's giving great customer service to somebody, that's really great, right? Like, especially if they are having a hard time navigating the menu or the online, you know, or vice versa, <coughs> excuse me, they could be upselling, they could be taking a huge order. So we can't just look at these, these primary measures, right? We have to look at what is the value being generated and, it, and are we measuring to the goal? You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Which I'm also... I'm also sad to say that because we literally just revamped all our dashboards. And so I'm not going back in there to fix them all. Not that they're broken, but I think what it is interesting to look at is, you know, maybe like you said, maybe we should be combining this and this measure together. Um, so we can, we can get a different number, you know what I mean? And then see what that really is. Yeah. Um, okay. Mark, we've been on for a while now. I, it has been an amazing conversation. I hope, uh, you know, that all you guys really got an interesting kind of uh, insight into some of the, some of this software stuff and how we're looking at things and, you know, just things that look at in your own businesses. I'm going to end with question number five, which is give me a war story. Give me one of those stories that makes you that makes you, uh, you know, cringe, like laugh and cringe. Yeah, I'll tell you something interesting. I might have actually told you this on a call before, Tommy. Um, is is we on our food ordering platform, we were um, looking into into fraud again, but credit card fraud. So we had a um, a, a high level of fraud going through with uh, credit card payments, um, and we actually got uh, the what well, wasn't us, it was our customer got the the police involved and sent an undercover agent to see you now why would someone be using a fake credit card detail to buy pizza. Um, or hamburger, you know, it seems like uh, you should be buy high, buying, spending that uh, stolen money on higher value goods. Um, and they ended up like tailing this, uh, the, the delivery driver and the, the, the food got delivered on the corner of a street somewhere. Uh, and some guy came out of the shadows and took a five bucks of pizza. And they followed this guy around the corner, down the street, around the corner, uh, and came out into the square in the middle of uh, Johannesburg somewhere. And um, there were several tables set up and there was just takeout food, a black market for takeout food with uh, you know, all kinds of different brands, uh, burgers, pizzas, uh, seafood, everything all laid out on these tables. And they were selling that to, to people on the street uh, for cash. So they were just basically money laundering with, this, uh, with, uh, with, with uh, takeout goods that they'd ordered with stolen credit card details. Um, super interesting story.
Wow. Uh, there's so much wrong with that. Like, like you eat that pizza, then you like I ate, you know, whatever, Bob's pizza, and now I'm sick because this has been sitting outside, you know, for hours. You know what I mean? And oh, all of a sudden, like I go, like I could go back and be like, oh, I ate at Bob's pizza, because you're not gonna say I ate, you know, black yeah, market exactly. food in the middle of this square. Or like you're gonna go buy you're gonna try to sue Bob, right? Get Bob in trouble. I'm pretty sure they were paying uh, a fraction of the price for the food, and I'm pretty sure they knew that it wasn't uh, legitimate. But uh, oh yeah, yeah, it's just it's crazy that that kind of thing was happening. No one suspected it was this black market for takeout food. So literally, people were paying for this takeout food fraudulently. So they had stole a credit, they pickpocketed, and then they literally the drivers came to this area, they took the food, and then they went and resold it like a block away. Ah man, exactly, exactly. That's crazy. Wow. Well, that is a great story, Mark. And I want to thank you so much for taking the time to come on. I know it's late there in the Netherlands. And uh, and I really just have enjoyed meeting you. And I love SendBoard. So check out SendBoard. Um, if you guys are using Trello, it's a way to automate emails out uh, on your Trello cards and just communicate via email through the Trello card. And um, you know, just good luck to you with all your projects. And uh, it was a real pleasure. Great, Tommy, thanks for having me on the show. It's been super interesting chatting to you. It's been fun. Cool, man. Well, take care and we'll be in touch soon. Cool, cheers, Tommy.